0: Um, and this morning, we're going to talk about the story of Hannah. So, uh, we've been this term talking about women who are less, slightly less well known. And I think that Hannah we do know because we know about Samuel, um, the, the baby boy, which we'll come to. But not every aspect of the story will we necessarily know very well. So, I hope that um, there'll be something here for all of us. Uh, and it's a, in many ways, it's a lovely story. It does have a happy ending, and we all love happy endings, don't we? But there are aspects of Hannah's story that challenge challenge our thinking and at the same time can help us as we grapple with the difficult areas in our lives, and in particular, the area of grief. So that's uh, a lot of what I'm going to say. While I read the first part of the story, would you be picking out the three different types of grief that we can see. And I'm going to break uh, the passage because it's long, I'm going to break it into chunks. So, you know, like I would for children at school, you do it in bite-sized chunks. It's not all at once. So it, this is 1 Samuel, chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. There was a certain man from Ramathame, a Zaphite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroam, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zaph, an Ephraimite, He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? And we leave it there because, as you'll have seen, Hannah is the obvious one who is grieving in this story. She has no children, and this was a disgrace in the culture where she lived. We know that she was, however, the favorite wife. In verses 4 and 5, it says, Elkanah gave Hannah a double portion of the meat because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb had the Lord closed Hannah's womb. Well, this was the way the Israelite society would have viewed Hannah's barrenness. The Lord must be looking disfavorably upon her. That's how people in those days would have seen it. So Hannah's grief was very real. It wasn't just for the fact she hadn't got a child, but for the disgrace that this inevitably brought with it. Peninnah, the second wife, she was the second rate wife, wasn't she? She may have been able to give Elkanah children, but she wasn't loved by him. Uh, Look at the word used in verse 6. Her rival kept provoking her, Hannah, in order to irritate her. Now, at this point, I would like to say something about polygamy in the Old Testament. Polygamy entered history early on in Genesis chapter 4, when haughty Lamech married two women. My study Bible notes call him haughty because they suggest that he wanted to achieve the biggest possible blessing from God when God said in Genesis 28, be fruitful and increase in in number, fill the earth and subdue it, by multiplying his wives. But monogamy was not God's original intention, and I believe it's important that we know this. And I'm going to read to you uh, Genesis, it's only brief, Genesis chapter 2, verses 23 and 24 hope I can find it yes the man said this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh for she shall be called woman for she was taken out of man for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh So the man leaves his parental home and with his wife establishes a new family unit. That's what God intended. And the be united to his wife means that God's intention for husband and wife was monogamy. Together they would form an inseparable union of which one flesh was both a sign and expression. So given that polygamy was not God's intention, are we surprised at the rivalry between Peninnah and Hannah? Imagine, if you will, and this is, I don't don't offend anybody. Imagine, if you will, but for no more than a fleeting second, that we lived in such a society today, where we might find ourselves sharing a husband. Would this not inevitably lead to rivalry? One wife would be preferred to the other. Disharmony would be at the root of the relationship between the two wives, whether or not they were used to this sharing. So perhaps we can even sympathize with Peninnah for goading her rival with the only tool or weapon she had. She could provide her husband with children where Hannah could not. The fact remained, however, that Peninnah was not loved, and that was her grief. And then if we look at verse 7, this went on year after year. Poor Hannah would become so distraught by Peninnah's torments that she couldn't eat. But there was a third person, I believe, who had grief, and this is Elkanah, the husband, of the two wives. His attempts to pacify Hannah show this. He loved Hannah and hated to see her unhappy. Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons, he says, and I think he means it, but he knows too that the disgrace Hannah feels is real. Elkanah too has grief and longs for Hannah to have a child. So we're going to read now what happens next, and this is in the same book, uh, 1 Samuel, chapter 1, verses 9 to 20. Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow, saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, "'How long will you keep, getting on, keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine.' "'Not so, my Lord,' Hannah replied. "'I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. "'I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. "'Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here.' out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you asked of him. She said, may your servant find favour in your eyes. Then she went away and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, they arose and worshipped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah lay with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. Here, Hannah is pouring out her grief to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. She is desperate, but in her desperation, we see that it is her disgrace she wants God to remove, most of all. What do I mean by that? Well, what do we think of Hannah's vow? Would we we make such a vow if we were in her shoes? Would we offer to give up the child as she did? The key is in the word remember. In verse 11, she said, this is Hannah, and she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all of the days of his life and so on. This, it means, this word, remember, means that God should not so much recall that Hannah exists. It means to go into action on her behalf. And this is the action Hannah wants from God, that he will remove her disgrace by granting her the gift of a son. In return, she'll give the child back to the Lord to be in his priestly service for his whole life. Maybe we find this hard to swallow, the idea of giving up the one thing that she so badly wanted. But if we think of it from Hannah's viewpoint in the context of the society she lived in, maybe we can understand she was begging God for relief of the disgrace more than for the gift of a son to keep and bring up. And to give him back to God seemed more than reasonable if he, the God of of Israel, the God of the Israelites, would only remember her and go into action on her behalf. As a woman, Hannah would have had virtually no rights, and with no male heir, there'd be no one to look after her in her old age. But if God would allow her the son she desired, she would willingly return him to the service of the God she called upon. And I believe she trusted in him. In fact, Hannah is asking God to show her his favor the opposite of how people would have viewed her as being out of God's favour. Now, let's think about Eli's response. It shows how fervently, Eli is the priest, by the way, how fervently Hannah was praying because the priest thought she was drunk. Get rid of your wine, he says. And in verses 15 and 16, Hannah says, I'm not a wicked woman, I've been pouring out my soul to the Lord. I've been praying here out of my great anguish. And grief. She's been. She really believes that the one she's been crying out to. She really believes that he will answer her. It's no. Oh, would you mind, please, Lord? But an urgent and passionate plea. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. It's almost shouting out to God, isn't it? Hannah's passionate outpouring of grief is a model for us, I believe, and Dawn so beautifully captured that in the worship. Tell God your grief, what you really feel about the big situations in your life that fill you with sadness and pain. God hears our cries for help. He heard Hannah's cries. But let's see how she reacts when Eli blesses her. She's all of a sudden ready to eat again. It says that she went away and she ate something. Is this perhaps because she's laid it all out before the Lord? As it were, she's done business with God, and now she's ready to leave things in his hands. I find this an awesome challenge. It's one thing to tell God how we feel about our painful situations, tough things in our lives, but to actually leave them there, that's another matter, isn't it? We often find this hard, and I know I, I know I do. But I still do believe that Hannah's a model for us, because by saying, please remember me in my disgrace and give me a son who I'll give back to you and serve all his life, she's boldly asking for what she needs. and making a bargain with him. And God rewards this kind of faith. And now, let's look at the last section of chapter 1. So this is the last part of chapter 1. And we'll see that Hannah keeps her vow. So verse 21 of chapter 1. When the man Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, After the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, Elkanah, her husband told her. Stay here until you've weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she'd weaned him. And by the way, um, I gather that that was probably around about three, because in those days they'd no way of keeping milk fresh, so it was normal for babies to be breastfed, uh, breastfed until about three years old. So at least she wasn't giving him up when he was really, really tiny. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When they'd slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, As surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you, praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord." For his whole life, he shall be given over to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. Hannah keeps her vow, doesn't she? She declares to Eli the priest that she's the same woman who prayed for the gift of a child. And she presents Samuel to Eli to serve in the temple for his whole life. He must have been very surprised and shocked. But she must keep her part of the bargain. God's given her a son, so as she promised, she gives him back. But this is not the end of the story, and this is where we see the happy ending, as it were. So we'll look at God's gracious response to Hannah in the next chapter, and this is the last bit we'll read. It's only short, it's just three verses. And uh, this is 1 Samuel, chapter 2, verses 18 to 21. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Each year his mother made him a little robe, and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. Then they would go home, and the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. So, God not only gives Hannah a son, Samuel, which uh, means, by the way, the word Samuel means heard of God, but in keeping with Eli's prayer for Elkanah and Hannah, that God would give them children to replace the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord, Hannah now has three sons and two daughters. God gave her more than she actually asked for. God honoured her prayer of faith, but he also honoured her sacrifice In giving back to God what he had given her, by blessing her with five more children. Jonathan always says when he talks about giving, doesn't he, that we can't outgive God. And this is a prime example, isn't it? Um, God was more than... And I I think, you know, did Hannah expect God to do that? Did she think she would have more children? We don't know. We don't actually see that. But I think she was more than willing to give up her son. Um, And I think uh, it's just amazing. The Lord knows all our griefs, the things that give us genuine sorrow, sorrow. the family situations that seem unresolvable, unresolvable, the lack of something in your life, the pain of bereavement, the suffering of mental or physical illness. And that's because Jesus bore all of these things on the cross. Isaiah 53, verse 4 says, Surely he, and that's Jesus, took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. And infirmities could be physical, but they could be mental too. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Now, Jesus hadn't come during the time when Hannah was alive, but I believe she was a woman of faith who recognized that ultimately God was greater than her pain and her lack. He was greater than everything in her situation that was so twisted and so broken. And that going into action on her behalf, he would be demonstrating that he remembered her, that he was indeed her God. But there's something else about the quality of Hannah's faith. There's a verse at the beginning of chapter 2 where Hannah is showing her gratitude to God in a song of praise, where she says, or sings, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord, my, my horn is lifted high. I believe the supreme source of Hannah's joy... Isn't in the child himself, but in the God who answered her prayer. But what a challenge to us. My favourite part of the story I haven't yet mentioned, and it's the bit we, just, we, we read um, in chapter two. Each year, his mother made him, Samuel, a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Imagine Hannah making the little robe, bigger each year, of course, as he grew. I'm always a bit sad, as my grandchildren are growing, that certain outfits I've really liked them in, especially when they were very small, don't fit for very long, and it's (laughs) really sad. It must be the same with mums, but on the other hand, they're growing with you. But as a grandparent, you don't see them every day. Well, I don't see them all the time. So, you know, it's it's shocking to see. But imagine her worrying if the little robe was going to fit him. How much had he grown? And if he himself was well, and how would he be when she visited him? Imagine her heart pounding as she and Elkanah and her now little family went to Shiloh to the temple on that journey. Did Hannah miss Samuel? Of course she did. He was still her child, her firstborn son. This verse about the little robe that she made for him every year shows just how human the story is. Hannah wasn't a super spiritual type. You might think, oh gosh, you know, that's just not me. I couldn't give something up like she did. Um, She was flesh and blood, just like us, and would have felt the pain of separation from her young son. But her love for God was greater than even the pain she originally had when she was childless. So she could fulfill her her vow with deep gratitude to the one who'd heard and answered her prayer. God himself was Hannah's greatest joy. Is God our greatest joy, I wonder? Grief is so hard to deal with, isn't it? Grief can be so loud. It shouts at us when we want it to leave us alone. It can fill our minds and just not leave us. And it takes many forms. I don't intend to name any, but I've been amazed at how Hannah dealt with her grief before the Lord, asking him to go into action on her behalf. Remember me. And then keeping her vow to give back the child God had given her. And her quick response in fulfilling her vow, she didn't change her mind, showed that her ultimate joy wasn't so much in the gift, but in the giver, God. He had answered her prayer and lifted her out of her disgrace. Her very identity was now in God. And so to ourselves. I want to say that in holding Hannah up as a model for us, I am not being glib about grief. I recognise that grief, and in particular some types of grief that may be massive and long-lasting, there is a genuine feeling that no one understands your grief, that you're totally alone. And that can be be the case in human terms, humanly speaking, that can be the case. No one else, however sympathetic, even empathetic, if they've gone through a similar thing to you, I repeat, no one else has gone through it in the same way that you have. But there is an exception. There is someone who totally understands our grief, our trauma, our pain and struggle, and that's Jesus. Isaiah 53, verse 4, again, says, Surely... He, Jesus, took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Jesus, as God's son, went to the cross for us, not just for our sins, but for our griefs too. When he died on the cross, he bore the wrath of his father, God, against all the sin and pain this world has ever known. He died for all the wrong things we've done and the wrong things done to us. Nothing was left out, nothing ignored. The worst moment for Jesus was when he cried out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The father turned his face away from Jesus because he was bearing the weight of all our sin and shame. And God can't look on sin because he's holy. And so Jesus knows all about shame and disgrace because he bore it for us. He bore it in our place. And if Hannah could cry out to God to go into action on her behalf and remove her disgrace, how much more can we ask God to go into action on our behalf? Because he's already done that on the cross. We are this side of the cross, aren't we? Isaiah 53 verse 5 says, The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, Jesus. And by his wounds we are healed. I say that verse to myself every day. The punishment that brought me peace was upon him, Jesus. And by his wounds I am healed. We can make these things personal. We can ask God to heal us. Because of Jesus' death for us, from all that's kept us, he can heal us from all that's kept us bound. Yes, the sinful things, bad habits and attitudes, wrong and ugly thoughts, jealousy, greed, and so on. But we can also ask him to heal our grief and sorrow. That situation that's so hard to deal with on a daily basis. The relationships that are broken and seem irreconcilable. Jesus can help us forgive as he forgave us and move on towards reconciliation. The pain of loss or of lack, he knows too. And because he, Jesus, is the very best gift we can ever receive, he meets us in our grief with his presence and his comfort and his peace. Grief may take a long time to heal, but God is the one who will heal our hearts. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds, Psalm 147, verse 3. How much God longs to bring us healing in the places where it hurts. Tell him about it and ask his help. Go further and, like Hannah, ask him to go into action on your behalf. How many of us can testify to God doing these things for us? So dare to ask God for the impossible in your family situations where you see no way out, in unfair situations or in places of great suffering and great pain. Cry out to God for his intervention, just as Hannah did. Hannah's answer was, was pretty quick, really, and dramatic. We may have to wait, and that is so hard, isn't it? But let's not give up, but keep on asking. Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds and to him who knocks the door will be opened. That's in Matthew's Gospel chapter 7. The Bible contains many encouragements for us to call out to God and ask him for what we need. In your groups you'll be able to look some up because I've got them on a separate sheet for you from the questions. Choose one that you find particularly helpful and learn it by heart. Memorising scripture helps us keep God's word in our hearts so that we find eventually it can come back to our minds when we need it most. God's love is our greatest treasure, our greatest gift. Hannah knew this. Let's be like Hannah and labour before God those things which hurt and grieve us and let's prove his love as we ask for what we need and find him going into action on our behalf so that like Hannah, we find that God is our greatest source of joy even more than what we asked of him and he may have even given us more than we asked for in the end thank you for listening the groups uh, the questions